Welcome to I Communicate on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. To join the conversation, call 508-871-7000. Now, here's your host, Mark Altman. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the Mindset Go Radio Show. Good to be back here on Thursday, and uh, hope you've all been doing great. Ted, uh, how are you? Good morning. I am large, and I love it. Outstanding. Ted, I just got back from a uh, half-business, half-pleasure trip in Key West, Florida. I got back late last night. Nice. And I have to tell you, it was kind of a gift for myself for working really hard last year. So I took about three days that I was trying to commit to doing no work, but that didn't happen. But I still found time to relax. Excellent. And I have to tell you, I don't there's a few things I want to share from that trip. First of all, I don't want to see another piece of key lime pie for the rest of my life. <laughs> I'm going to start right there. There is, some, there is a lot of key lime pie down there. Ted, they, they have key lime cigars down there. <laughs> it's like spunk, pumpkin spice up here. Well, yeah, yeah it's like, exactly. Yeah. Now, and, and I want to tell you, what I found out is that at, at one point in the – that Key West, I actually found this out, was actually the cigar-making capital of the world. Yeah. And that they were doing billions of dollars in cigar business internationally at one point. And, uh, and that I was told by one of my Uber drivers, you know when they get the Uber drivers start talking and the tourist? Uh, uh-oh. He says to me, he goes, he starts, I didn't even ask. Like, he just starts talking. Of course. And he told me how in the late 1970s in Key West, the police force was so corrupt that they were selling crack cocaine out of uh, bakery boxes directly right out of the police station. Boy, that brings a whole new meaning to Krispy Kreme. (laughs) (laughs) That's good stuff. Uh, So, but I got to tell you, Ted, what a great experience. Um, Had a chance to do some training on sales and leadership for the Hilton Marriott Hotel chain. And uh, met some great people, had some real great opportunities. And uh, boy, I'll tell you, Ted, it was so funny you know, I, I really detest winter, you know, w- with a passion. <laughs> and what's funny is it wasn't, you know, it was sunny the entire time I was there, but it was actually pretty cool for, in their standards, like late high 60s, low 70s. But I got to tell you, sunshine makes an enormous difference. Yeah. I mean, just to go outside your mood, your energy, to look outside and see sunshine and mm-hmm. not snow drifts and cold. I'm and, so happy you said one of my favorite places on the earth. <coughs> Excuse me, is the Sunshine Key. Really? And it's just before Key West. Huh. And it's tiny, it's little, and it's a fishing community, and it's just lovely. Well. What, now, you went down to Key West. Yes. Did you get to Sloppy Joe's? I, you know what? The last night I was there, I was going to go, but I was with colleagues, so I, I couldn't really choose, but I, I walked right by it. Yeah, it's beautiful yeah. little, uh, it, lo- it looks like something you'd find in New Orleans. Now, I have to tell you, one of the most interesting experiences, this is going to kind of segue to our what we're going to talk about today, but I, I have to tell you that one of the most interesting experiences there was on Duval Street, on the main street in Key West, there was a cosmetology place, pretty, pretty big, street-facing, and there was a woman in a wheelchair, an elderly woman in a wheelchair, and an elderly man standing outside the cosmetology place holding up enormous signs with an arrow on the sign pointing to the store saying, this place is a ripoff. Huh. 
And so I walked by and I said, well, that's really interesting. And then all three days I walked by, there was different, it was like they were on a rotating shift of different people committing to letting the public know that this place was a ripoff. And apparently I, I asked a few locals in the area and they said that the store is as like, you know, kind of fluff products and they try to tell you they have the solution to this and the solution to that. Uh-huh. And they ripped a lot of people off. And these people are dedicated to informing the public. I, uh-huh. I was like, wow, that's that's not something you see every day. Well, no, I mean, I, you know, there's a lot of retired people in Florida. So when you got time on your hands uh, and you have a, 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 what's that called? An axe to grind? Yeah. I mean, yeah. there you go. I mean, well, you're... No, keep finish your thought. I didn't mean to cut no, you no, off. No, you're all set. I mean, the, the, the point I'm trying to make is, is that it's the right place for that sort of thing. Well, and, and I'll tell you, Ted, as I was flying home on the plane last night, I had an interesting conversation. There was a couple sitting next to me, probably in their 60s, and they were talking. They knew someone in the aisle in front of them, and the woman in front of them was sharing with them that she's she does volunteer work transporting, like, homeless pets to other parts of the country where they can find owners. It's a very noble yep. volunteer work. And so the couple sitting next to me, say, they said, so that's your job. And she goes, oh, no, 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 it's just volunteer. And I said to the three of them, I said, isn't it interesting mm. that when you don't get paid for something, it doesn't become a job? Right. Like, and, and, and I mean that in two ways, right? Because it's like a lot of people who do volunteer work, that's work. Like, th- that's a job. But it's almost like you don't get credit for it when you don't get paid. Right. People don't credit themselves. And they don't credit themselves. Right. So, you know, I was thinking about that and... I had an epiphany this morning, Ted, that I was, you know, it feels like every time I do the show, I'll have some experiences since the previous show, but also something will come in my mind the morning of the show, and I'll be like, you know, this is what we need to talk about today. And what happened was we were talking about, I I run a masterminds group of business owners, and for those of you who aren't familiar with that term, basically one one of the burdens and challenges of being an entrepreneur is that you don't really have anybody to hold you accountable right. in a small business. So it's pretty common across the country. People will form these groups. And about two years ago, I had some of my coaching clients say to me, boy, it'd be great if you could form a group of counterparts where we could all kind of be like a board of advisors for each other's companies and bounce ideas off of people. So I started this masterminds group a couple years ago, and it's a wonderful group of people. And one of the people in the group this morning was talking about how they have someone that works for them and how it's really frustrating because the person doesn't seem to be all that motivated or doesn't seem to be care- to care about their work and they kind of clock punch and they do their work and if they do it well, no big deal, whatever, and so mm. on and so forth. So that was the discussion this morning. And it got me thinking about the concept of drive. And I... I you know, of all the things I like to do professionally, managing my own people would be the lowest on my list. Mm. I really don't enjoy managing my own people. And I realized I had this epiphany this morning on a couple of things, Ted, and I realized that what's interesting about drive is that I, I'm going to translate drive into the, the phrase sense of urgency. Because I find, yes. I find that people who have worked for me in the past, in many cases, they might be good employees. They, they, might, they might do their job reasonably well. But if I give them four things to do, whether it takes them a half hour, two hours, or four hours, it doesn't really matter. Right. 
you know, they no don't, sense of urgency. There's no sense of urgency. That's, you know, that's one of the things that you will find in common with entrepreneurs. They have a strong sense of urgency. Um, I, I happen to know a lot about startups because I spent better part of my career selling to startups, equipment, technology, that sort of thing. And the other thing that that entrepreneurs need in these groups you're talking about is feedback because when you have a success and you're an entrepreneur alone, you can break your arm trying to pack yourself on the back for doing a great job. So being in an environment where there's other people who share your urgency and daily activity, being able to say, hey, I closed this deal, they can appreciate the fact. Well, and you're so right, Ted. And what's what's interesting about what you're saying is that a lot of the work I do with companies, what'll happen is you would think in the professional world, you would think people say, well, Mark, why do people hire you? And, and, and sometimes it's, you know, they're struggling with revenue or they're struggling with culture or their leaders aren't being effective or whatever. The, the, the same old stuff you hear every day. But what's interesting, Ted, is one of the most common reasons I'm brought into companies is because I'm an outside voice. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm that different perspective. Sometimes companies have the most effective leaders in the world, but they get tuned out because the people that work there have heard the same messages over and over. The trees in the forest, my friend. Yeah. And so the, so you're absolutely right, Ted. This masterminds group does allow a check and balance, does allow you to... And it's funny, the format of our group, it's really powerful. I mean, not only do we have wonderful people in the group, but... Um, Everybody is really required to be vulnerable in this group. I mean, it's confidential, but it's re- you're required to be vulnerable because if you're going to be worried about judgment and you can't be yourself yeah. and share what's – it doesn't work. No. So – got to be open. So you got to be open. And so, so this is what got me thinking. So here's, here's where the light bulb went on this morning. And this is the challenge we'll talk about today. So the, I was thinking about millennials. And I was thinking about the perception and stigma that goes with being a millennial. Mm-hmm. And it occurred to me that one of the most common perceptions about being a millennial is that they're very indecisive because they haven't really found what they want to do. They're, they really want to be passionate about what they do. They really want to have a sense of purpose about what they do. And I think for those of you, for those of you on either side of the argument – you know, it's almost like if you're a millennial, you're supposed to apologize for those qualities and values, which I don't really understand. Yeah, I don't get it. I don't get that. Um, but if you're if you're on the generational side, here's what that's tra- here's the epiphany, Ted. Here's what that's translating to: because you are indecisive, because you have to have that sense of passion and purpose for what you do, you don't have a sense of urgency. And then what happens I- is. This is the realization I made. That's the translation. And so now companies are looking at certainly the the typical challenges companies face, employee engagement, employee retention, things like that. But what's happening is the the millennials are walking in the door already behind the eight ball because if if those perceptions and stigmas are exercised, then I'm not going to get a lot of work out of these people. They're not going to really have a sense of urgency. Hell, they might be out the door tomorrow. You know, I know we have to go to a break, but I learned something from a millennial speaking about me to another millennial. And 
I asked the question, well, I understand you're changing jobs. Do you have a new job before you left your old one? <laughs> and the other millennial said to the millennial I asked, oh, what a boomer question. And I looked at it and I said, look, you know, I'm curious because we never left a job until we knew there was another paycheck coming in within the two-week spread. Do you guys know what I mean by a two-week spread? What do you mean? They said, we get paid every week. Then I realized there's a real difference. That's great. That's great. Okay, there's a real difference in the expectations. That's true. Well, so when we come back, we're going to head to break, but we come back, we're going to explore this drive and in, in kind of the keys to understanding those generational motivators and how drive impacts a sense of urgency. So we'll be back. This is the Mindset Go Radio Show. We'll be back. Turn it Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to the Mindset Go Radio Show. Everybody, glad to be back. And we're talking today about drive. We're talking about a sense of urgency. And, you know, one of the things that's interesting to me uh, about motivation in general is uh, we, are, we are a culture of relying on two things to be motivated consequences and rewards. And what what fascinates me is, and it all starts basically from when you're a child. You know, if you don't behave, you're punished. And if you do, you, you know, you're incentivized. And it, it, it never changes. That's how it is at home. That's how it is at school. And frankly, that's how it is in the workplace. So what I'm seeing leaders really struggling with right now is when those two things don't work, what's left? You know, how do you motivate someone without a consequence or a reward? And there we're at. Well, self-motivation, drive, intrinsic motivators, Ted, right? I've had an experience with this that, okay. that relates to what you're talking about, but I don't know if it's a real good example. I will leave it to your judgment. All right. Um, in the mid-'90s, I started a full-scale commercial brewery. And I had a core group. I was Mr. Outside. I had Mrs. Inside, my wife, and two real good buddies who were involved. We had the brewer. We had the driver delivery guy. And it was hard to motivate everybody six days a week, you know, because people have to have their beer. Well, I learned that you could have volunteers do things that employees would never do. Volunteers will demonstrate a sense of urgency because they're volunteering. They want to do it. Hmm. And it's an act of volition. Whereas when somebody's being paid to do something, there's this resistance to, uh, how should I put it, your rate per hour. And what the value is. Okay. So, Ted, actually that story is spot on because it segues to exactly where I want to go today. So, here's where I struggle. So, 
this is the whole, we're back to self-motivated, volunteer wants to do it, passion, purpose, why, all that stuff. But here's my challenge. I did an exercise when I do, sometimes when I coach people, I have this exercise. I give them a list of, say, 20, I'm going to show you this at some point, Ted. I give them a list of 20 or 30 responsibilities, tasks, whatever you want to call it. And I have them fill out two sets of columns with a check or an X or whatever. So the first check is, do you love to do this? Mm -hmm. The second check is, are you good at it? Or no, I actually say, are you great at it? Mm-hmm. To really make a point. Okay. So the first part of the exercise, so I can explain, the first part of the exercise is I'm trying to figure out where the intersection is in understanding someone's skill set between passion and expertise. Got it. Okay? So that's the first part of the exercise. Then the second part of the exercise is if you're not good at it or great at it, would you be excited to learn it? And the final column is because you have to or because you want to. <laughs> so the second part of the exercise, you, you with me? I'm there. So this is my way of trying to get to the cross-section of, first, what is your current skill set and passion? And second, where do you want to grow and why? Okay, because the society is telling you you're not going to be good at what you do unless you do or because you're really excited about it. And so here's the point I'm trying to make, Ted. The struggle that exists in the workplace with sense of urgency is if I hire you because you're a great communicator and you're good at making presentations to clients, okay, but that doesn't mean you're going to be efficient at it. That doesn't mean you're going to do it in a productive way. Right. So, so the sense of urgency, this is what's confounding me lately is that we put so much emphasis on the why and on passion and purpose and the volunteer, which we should. There's nothing wrong with that. But it doesn't solve the problem with productivity and a sense of urgency. Because i got to tell you, if I give someone their favorite task in the world to do, and I say, take this, and I know in my heart, through my own experience, that to complete that task, it'll take a half an hour or an hour, it might take them two or four because they're just in la-la land doing their thing, enjoying what they're doing, and that's the problem. So if you like what you do or you don't like what you do, drive to me is I can't wait to do the next thing on my list. And how many people go to work every day, and this, is, this question is not asked. People will say, why do you get out of bed in the morning? Why do you love your job? Those questions are asked. But if you walk up to someone and say, why are you going to be excited and motivated to get to the next task on your list? People aren't used to answering that question. And frankly, so many people are overwhelmed and drowning in tasks and work and responsibilities that there's a part of you in some way, you know, you're supposed to, but in some ways, man, if you can take your time on something... You're probably going to yeah. because there's nothing. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. Does that make sense? That, that does make sense. You know, wh- one of the things that is used when interrogating someone, you ask the why question to stop them dead in their tracks mm. so that you can read their eye movement and their body language to see if 
what they had previously said was true. Interesting. Um, so, you know, so that why question is really powerful. And so, and so watch what happens now. Let's say, think about it, your company. Think about if you have someone and you're sitting there in your office, in your car listening, like, oh, God, I, Mark, boy, I can't tell you how many people that just don't really have that sense of urgency and take their sweet time to get things done. And you're sitting there listening to that. And so here's what's interesting. Watch how this becomes a true no-win situation. So now, let's say you have that person who's doing what they love to do. You've given them the responsibilities and tasks that makes them get out of bed in the morning. They're taking their time. They're not productive. They're not efficient. And you walk up to their desk in the, with, Ted, you hear me say this all the time, right word choice, right tone, good body language. All the, you communicate it exactly as you should. And you say, listen, i got to be honest with you. Um, I, I really need you to expedite how you're doing these tasks. I need you to do them faster, better, differently, whatever. Well, guess what happens now? If you communicate that, here's the problem. Here's where that magical word perception comes back in. Mm-hmm. Now you're a micromanager. You went from giving people their passion, their purpose, letting them do what they love, but now you could be perceived as a micromanager because now they're not doing it quick enough mm-hmm. or they're not doing it the way you want or the way you suggest. By the way, the way that is proven to be the most effective way to do it. Yeah. But I digress. Yeah, And so... So there's, there's where the conundrum of this sense of urgency comes in. How do you get someone – we talk about intrinsic motivators. We talk about intrinsic motivators. How do you get someone on their own to say, boy, I got, I got to be faster. Like, I mean, I do love this stuff, but boy, you know, time is money. I'm glad you said that. Time is money. That's the way to motivate people. If they understand that they're not a productive, profit-making part of the company, then they're going to make up their mind on their own, whether to be in or out. Well, and so, Ted, so here's the thing, though. You know, most people, if you don't, if you're not an equity holder in a company, if you're not a C-suite executive, a company owner, you don't really understand productivity, well, how, how, how do you well, well look that's that that is our fault then that is the fault of management because if management isn't telling people that you have to be productive and part of the profit center you're going to be out oh but that's just it they are telling people but what the hell does that mean because and and that's that's where the whole micromanaging you know you have to be productive they're saying the words they're they're they're, they're vomiting the company line in protocol but people People don't, like, unless somebody's telling you why you need to be productive, how to be productive, or unless you're self-motivated and truly understand productivity, people can't equate productivity. I don't think the average person can really equate corporate productivity. With profit? Then they shouldn't be working at a private company. They should go to work for the government where it doesn't matter. Well, and I think, and, and by the way, fair enough, but I think, I think they understand it in macro terms, but I don't think they understand it in micro terms. Uh, they better get with it or they're going to be out of a job. Well, that's true. And, and you know, so are we, how close are we to break, Oh, uh, we got to go now. Okay, so when we come back from the break, I'm going to share a concept called finders, minders, and grinders. Sweet, I love it. We'll be back after the break. 
Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, Ted, well, so as you know, you know, my favorite uh, favorite weekly commercial is not putting mercury in the trash, but (laughs) shooting yourself on the crotch in Christmas Eve news story, that that needs some attention. So I I just want to share, it reminds me... Um, and for our listeners, hey, it's a family show. Okay? Yeah, well, but so <laughs> so if you're listening to the show, you think you know where I may be going. So don't jump to conclusions because I have not shot myself in the crotch. Um, I was going to say something so inappropriate, ah, but I'm going to skip geez. it. So anyway, um, so here here's the story, right? So I remember because uh, and here's where I'm going with this. I I, I remember. When I think about sh- sh- the guy getting sh- sh- shooting himself in the crotch, and then to add insult to injury, he's arrested for multiple charges and stuff. So, Ted, this was about, I'm going to say, six years ago, maybe six, seven years ago, I was on a date with this girl. We had driven into Boston. We had, we had been dating for about a month. And we were coming home on the Mass Pike. This was probably this time of year, like in January. And... Not only did I run out of gas, this was at about 1130 at night. Ah, strategic. But Yeah, I wish. <laughs> um, not only did I run out of gas, but I ran out of gas. If For those of you who know the Mass Pike, I was literally a mile from the rest area where all the restaurants and gas station is. And it was like in my view. Like I was that close right, to making Framingham it. Natick one? Yes. Yes, yes. So I fall a mile short. So now I'm pissed. And, and I have to say, this girl, still friendly with her today, she couldn't have been more understanding and supportive of the situation where I thought I was a total loser for running out of gas, which that's for another day. But point of the story, here's where I'm going, right? So I run out of gas. So what do I do? I call AAA. No, actually, I didn't. The first thing I did was I called the Mass Turnpike Authority State Police who were on the pike yeah. because someone had told me that's what to do in a situation like that. They'll come help you. So... Um, I call them up, and this is exact conversation. I'm not making this up. And so I said, hey, you know, I ran out of gas and whatever, and um, so, uh, you know, can you help? And, and I forget the reason why they couldn't help, but they gave me a reason why they couldn't help. So I said, all right, so I guess I should just call AAA and, and get them to tow. He's like, no, you can't do that. And I said, how come? He says, because we have the authority for towing on the mass bike. That's, that's right. And so, so it has to be us. I'm like, but you just told me you couldn't do it. He's like, yeah, I don't know what to tell you. So now, forget the absolute rage I was feeling in that moment, but this is the part of the story is shooting yourself in the crotch, right? So then after he, he breaks this news that, you know, he can't help me, he's got no answers for me, he goes, but I want to tell you something. Consider yourself lucky that I don't give you a ticket for running out of gas on the Mass Pike. And I'm like, can you imagine the insult to injury, running out of gas and getting a ticket for it? Well, there's two things I want to remind you. Back then, that was Troop F. And if it didn't involve overtime, why would he help you? Oh, good Lord. I, I, I mean, and so when I think of shooting yourself in the crotch and getting charged for it, I mean, that is, that is bizarre. So I, I digress, ladies and gentlemen. I'm sorry. I, I heard that story and I was like, we can't leave that unattended. That's, boom, boom, that's priceless. Boom, goes the lights on that one. Wow. Yeah. So, okay. So, you know, we're talking about drive and being self-motivated and I promised you coming into the segment, I would share with you a concept called finders, minders, and grinders. And finders, minders, and grinders is an entrepreneurial concept that talks about three, and I'm going to keep it real simple for the show today. It talks about three levels of business. 
The finders, these are the entrepreneurs themselves. These are the people who have the vision, they have the drive, they have the passion. They're doing they can't wait to get to the next activity. They're doing everything they need to do to work make that front end. Work that front end to make the business grow. Now, I'm going to leave the minders for last. Now, the bottom tier grinders and they're not bottom tier people. I don't mean to give that impression, but the bottom of the tier, finders, minders, grinders, the grinders are kind of like your your people who are working multiple shifts the industrial, the manufacturing, the people who are just kind of doing that day-to-day work. Grinding it out. And those people, one of the key concepts in finders, minders, and grinders is grinders could care less about vision. They're just doing their job. They come to work every day. They know what they need to do. You start asking them what's going to happen tomorrow, next week, next month. They don't care. Right. Just tell me what I need to do and I'll do it. The classic is the salesman who says, you want me to stop making money to fill out your paperwork? Exactly. Exactly. And that's now that, see, that's a good example of a grinding responsibility, a grinder responsibility. So it's this middle tier that's interesting, the minders. The minders are often lumped in a category of CFOs or accountants. And the term minder comes from minding the store, okay. right? And here's what's interesting about the minders. So watch, watch the difference between the, th- the three. Finders are always thinking forward. They're not getting caught in the past. They're always thinking, what's next? How can we do more? The grinders, all they care about is that day, the exact present moment. What are my numbers? What are my numbers? Well, well, no. So the grinders, what are my responsibilities? Tell me what I need to do. I'll do it. I don't care about anything else but what I have to do today. And the minders are the ones that care about the past. The minders are the one that are looking at the numbers, looking at the results, the metrics, the goals, the KPIs, and they're the ones that have trouble getting out of the past because the past is often creating a sense of worry and anxiety and stress for what the future holds. So the reason I'm bringing up these concepts of finders, minders, and grinders is because when it comes to motivation, one of the key elements in motivation is for the finder level person to know how to connect and motivate the minders and grinders, knowing that when you walk in a room, Ted, if, you, if, you're, if you're my CFO and you're my minder, and I walk into a room and I say, Ted, I thought of an incredible business, innovative business strategy and approach. This is how we're going to double our revenue. And I start rallying off and you can see the excitement and whatever. You're sitting there like, Mark, do you know how much this is going to cost? Do you know how much revenue? You know, yeah. Do you know how much money we lost? And so, so, so think about that, listeners. So the minders, the category of minders, are not motivated by what the finders are motivated by. Absolutely. Right? And so, and then in the same token, when the minders go talk to the grinders, and the minders are saying, look, we, we've got to be more productive we got to be more efficient because here are the problems we're having. The grinders are like, Can you, okay, yeah, that's good, thanks. I got to keep doing my job. Yep, you're 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 spot on. I, there's something that you can add to your matrix here. Um, when the economy is doing well, the finders are in charge. When the economy isn't doing so well, the minders or bean counters are in charge. And the grinders have to grind it every day, no matter what the economy is. 
Well, so I, I find what you just said fascinating because there's an, uh, there's an additional piece to that. And that is, and this brings everything full circle, Ted, and when the unemployment rate is really low, the grinders actually have a big advantage. Absolutely. Right? And so here, and here's how it plays out, right? So, and this is what I hear all the time. In, in my masterminds group, when talking with other executives, I hear this all the time. They'll say, you know, I got to tell you, I, I got these people and, you know, they're a pain in the ass and I got all these issues with them, but you want to know something? They're tough to replace. You know, it's not easy to find someone with that expertise. And especially at the grinder level, you know, people, blue-collar workers, people who do industrial work, manufacturing work, they're not easy to find, especially good ones. No, and salespeople too. People who make their numbers month to month are very valuable. That's and, tr- and they know it when the economy is good. Well, and, and frankly, Ted, not only are you right, but that that is something that I when I when I think about that, I think of, and it's this. You're right; it's the same principle. Is that if you're a salesperson, you know, you know, if you're hitting or exceeding your numbers, forgive the French, ladies and gentlemen, you have your company by the balls. Absolutely right. Because the what are you going to do? Yep. You know, and and so what what I look at. When I look at, because I hear a lot of organizations telling me they feel like a lot of their salespeople are complacent. I'm sure they are. A lot of the salespeople who, you know, they know could be doing better. They've shown the potential, that dreaded thing. I, they've shown they can do it. So how come they can't go to the next yeah, level? Yeah. And, and by the way, they're right. And that's true. So the question is, we're right back to where we started. So when you have a salesperson who has enough money to live, Frankly, a lot of salespeople would argue, well, wait a minute. I thought we're supposed to be into work-life balance. And so I want to spend time with my family and I want to do my own thing. So it's not that I don't want to work harder. I'm just doing the work-life balance thing. Okay. So what it comes down to is this. When you have that kind of person, what is going to motivate someone to take them to the next level? And what I think we have to start thinking about, Ted, is instead of spending a lot of time and energy hemming and hawing and complaining and griping about what people aren't, won't do or aren't willing to do, not a unique concept I'm going to come up with here. Let's meet them where they're at. Let's take that salesperson who says, yeah, yeah, sure, I can do better. And let's say, what can I teach you? What can I develop with you? So you won't feel like it's working harder and smarter, but you'd be open to this learning, open to a little investment in yourself, without feeling like it's a big burden. And and I'm going to tell you, Ted, here, here's, here's, do I have another minute or two before the break? Why not? Okay. So here's, so I, I came up with a concept, right? And when I was in, when I was in Florida, this occurred to me. So, and I start my training now saying this, okay? So what I ask people to think about is if you're going to a training, and I've spoken about this before, if you're going to a training, your typical mindset may be, I'm forced to do this. I'm voluntold. I already know this. I've already been taught this. There are so many attitudes and mindsets people have when they walk into training. Okay? But here's what it comes down to. I ask people that sit in the training, every time they learn a tool or a technique they like, to immediately say this to themselves. Does this feel like something more 
that you have to add to what you're already doing. It's not more. It's different. It's better. Does this feel like something you could delegate to your employees to do if you know how to do it and you can teach them? Yes, but is that what you really want to be doing? Is that going to make their lives better and your lives better? So the questions I want them to ask when anybody is learning something new is, is this something I can use to replace something I'm doing? And is this something I can incorporate into an existing process so I don't have to do something new? And I have to tell you, Ted, it's so hard to get people to shift out of that mindset. This feels like more. It feels like extra work. It feels like something as opposed to, wait, no, I can, I can use this instead of something else. Make sense? So when we come back for our final segment, we're going to talk about some techniques and strategies to, for intrinsic motivation and self-motivation. And uh, this has been Mark Altman for the Mindset Go Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Now, I Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to the Mindset Go Radio Show, and uh, glad to have you back with us. And so I, I just, you know, I want to on this last segment as we've been talking about drive and self-motivation, I, I want to shift to this concept called autonomy. All and, right. And, and I bring it up because this group I was training with out in Florida, I asked them a question right in front of their CEO. I said to all the leaders in the room, I said, I want to ask you a question. As you're interacting with your customers and prospects that come to your hotels, okay, if if they asked you about the culture of your organization and you – I said, finish this sentence for me. You know, one of the great things about XX is the culture includes blank. What is it that you take the most pride in in all of them? And you always know it's a good culture when everybody's giving pretty much the same answer. And all of it was the trust of independence and autonomy. Trust. Right? Trust. And when I think of when I think of the challenge of drive and self-motivation, it takes a special person to wake up every day. And we already talked about why do you get out of bed? Why do you do what you do? But I'm talking about why you need to do it right and why you need to do it quickly. Or 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 efficiently, better than quickly. Yeah. And so, and here's what's interesting about the word why. And, you know, Ted, you talked about it as an interrogation tactic. You know, what's interesting about it is, you know, when, when, you're, when you're a little kid and you're four and five years old, what do little kids do all the time? Why, 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 why? They drive parents nuts. That's my job. I'm a kid. And then what happens? What do we say to little kids? We say, stop doing that. You're annoying me. So in other words, kids start out with the gene to want to ask. We squelch it because they're annoying the heck out of us. And then they stop asking. Seems like a really backwards approach for communication. It, 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 it definitely has a chilling effect. So, so, so here's what it comes down to. People are much, you know, you can Google 100 motivational tips till the cows come home. But here's what it comes down to. People want to understand why what they're doing will have impact 
to the macro and micro goals and benefits for what they're doing. So if you have a person and you give them a task, perfect example, say you give them a task and say, and I gave someone this task a while back and I said, hey, do me a favor. Will you research um, sales contests to motivate salespeople and give incentives and stuff? So I said, yeah, great, motivated. So to me, I gave her some parameters for the project, whatever. She came back and she took, let's say, twice as long as I thought it was going to take to do the project. Now, this, it so happens that this person, she, she, she cared. She was diligent. This was not a fa- of, of lack of work ethic or anything like that. But the point I'm trying to make is, is that I didn't really spell out for her why the timeline was important, why the parameters were important. And in this specific case, she was doing this task for me for another company. So the amount of time it took and the timeliness and how it got responded to was really important. And I think, I think, ladies and gentlemen, this is not brain surgery. I think that this word why, conveying why speed is important, why turnaround time is important, why uh, quality and performance are important at the micro and macro level, I think it solve some of the problems. Well, I'm going to go back to what I said before since I like the way I said it. <laughs> and that is if everybody understood that if they're not part of the profit of the company, they're going to be out. If everybody understood that, there would be more of a sense of urgency every day on their job. So, Ted, the general manager who— Wait a minute, wait a minute. Why is that a dirty word, profit? Why, why do people respond in a it, negative way? It's not a way? dirty word. It's, it's, an, it's, a, it's an incomplete word. People, most people don't go about their lives thinking about the word profit. They don't, you know, ask, walk around the general public and ask how many people have a personal budget. Like how many people actually take the time to make a budget? Yeah, people don't plan to fail. They just fail to plan. Yeah, exactly. So so the word profit to me is dirty because it is a disconnecting word. I, I just don't think unless you're in a, manage, a certain management level or ownership level, you think about that word. Well, let me, let me charge you with a different idea for the word profit. In our culture, we like social programs, right? Yes, some of us. And we like social programs that raise people who are indigent from the gutter, take care of uh, widows and orphans. But without robust capitalism and profit, there are no social Okay, programs. so watch the difference. Perfect. So let me, let me respond to you. So here's how it works. The typical leader tries to motivate their troops by, especially in sales, but in general, is, listen, the bottom line, we're not hitting the bottom line. Profit, bottom line, revenue growth, call it whatever you want. So when you say something like that to the, the mid-level grinder worker, they're like, yeah, I hear you. Tune you right out. You're a typical authority giving the company line. Now watch the difference, Ted. Now let's go back to where we started with millennials today. Now, the millennials who, again, the perception stigma is that they care about social causes, purpose, passion. So now this is what I do. You're a millennial. I walk up to you and I say, hey, listen, you know, here's the problem. You're not being as efficient and productive as I need you to be. 
And instead of using profit and bottom line, I go, and here's why it's important. Because if we can get more productivity, we can fund two social programs that the company is really interested in investing. Which one are they going to respond to? Oh, definitely. Especially if you say, which of the two programs would you choose? Oh, absolutely. So this is where, this is where, you know, one of the most fundamental aspects, and I said this to the group in Key West, I said this to the group, you know what? The number one thing you're supposed to do in communication is to mirror the communication. Find the common ground, find the style, approach, connection point that works. And guess what? For everybody out there that unfairly stigmatizes millennials and complains about millennials, I got news for you. You're supposed to be, no matter what age, what knowledge level, what skill, what experience, you're supposed to be communicating and meeting them where they're at. Regardless. That's right. You got to know the audience. So if you're, as an organization, what do you tell, what do you tell your sales team? Hey, listen, you got to learn how to communicate with the client, mirror them, find connecting points, whatever. What do we say with our customer service team and customers? The same thing. But now all of a sudden millennials roll around and, oh my God, I, I got to feel how to connect with this generation. Why is it any different, Ted? To me, it's not different at all. You find out what makes people tick and you relate to it. That's right. That's absolutely right. It isn't that complicated. It's not. Uh, You know, I find that people want it to be complicated because they want to make their life interesting. (laughs) That's one way to put it. You know, when, when, when you're going out to work and you're working for somebody else, you're, and you're being paid a wage, plus, let's say, a VIG of some sort, you've got to be able to be motivated on your own or else you're not producing. Yeah, and I, and, and I will I'll, I'll end the show with this concept. I, I agree, and I think, you know, every time, can you imagine if there was a class in school to teach peep kids how to be motivated on their own. And by the way, for those of you that are snickering, the way you teach kids to be motivated is to identify their why. Like it can be done, but most people don't stop and think and figure out what are these things that are so meaningful that would drive behaviors and habits. And until that starts happening, we're going to have this drive sense of urgency problem. All right, ladies and gentlemen, another Mindset Go radio show about conversational, emotional, and multi-generational intelligence. Thanks, Mark Altman. If you want more information on how to work with Mindset Go, info at MindsetGo.com, 978-206-1535. It's a pleasure. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to I Communicate with your host, Mark Altman. Join us again each week at this time on Full Service Radio, WCRN.